Listener Production. Hello, Tom Tilly with you for The Briefing and quite a few of you have been in touch about yesterday's episode on Jane Roe from Roe vs Wade, the famous American abortion case that was overturned last week. The episode was all about the woman, Jane Roe, at the centre of the case and how she later became a Christian anti-abortion campaigner only to do another big 180-degree switch on her deathbed with a confession that she did it all for the money and actually she really did support abortion. Uh, It was an absolutely crazy story. And one of the comments we got was, congrats, finally an angle on the abortion story that actually explained the law. Well done. Uh, Another listener said, great episode today, thank you. Uh, And one other listener said, this was mind-blowing. So if you missed yesterday's ep, it was very interesting. And we love hearing from you on Instagram, so please get in touch. All right, so today's briefing, we're speaking to Aussie music journo uh, Manyo Bobo. Now, she tells a, a very personal story that goes from Ghana to Musselbrook in New South Wales, all the way to New York and back. It's about hip-hop and hymns and growing up black in regional Australia. I'm sick of pretending to be someone I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm also sick of representing my race. I'm tired of being on my best behaviour because I'm the only black person some people will ever meet. That is Manyo Bobo. We'll meet her in today's briefing. First, Rihanna Patrick joins me for today's headlines. It is Friday, July 1. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, will sit down with the French President Emmanuel Macron today, hoping to reset relations after the submarine controversy. We'll have our formal bilateral meeting, and that's so important that we reset the relationship. Yeah, it sure is, because if it goes well, it could help usher in a new free trade agreement with Europe. And let's hope it goes better than Albo's interaction yesterday with the Canadian President, Justin Trudeau. We'll be talking lots uh, with uh, with Tony and, and uh, all our friends in Australia. <laughs> yeah, Trudeau had no idea what Albo's name was. Tony. A bit like the time Biden referred to Scott Morrison as that fella down under during the mm. AUKUS announcement. The awkward announcement. The awkward announcement. <laughs> <laughs> and today is the first day of the new financial year. I guess that's a good thing, I don't know, but it does come in with a bunch of changes. Um, our super contributions are going up from 10 to 10.5%. Um, they will go to 12% in 2025. And there are sweeping changes for 750,000 job seekers. Um, job Active is going to be replaced by a new points-based system where work for the dole, training and job applications will all count towards Centrelink eligibility. Yeah, the minimum wage is going to increase by $40 a week and 10 million Australians will start receiving a one-off cost of living tax offset worth about $420. And Guy Sebastian's former manager, Titus Day, has been found guilty of embezzling some, but not all of the money he was accused of. Yeah, the 49-year-old was accused of failing to pay the singer more than $880,000 after being managed by him for more than a decade. Day has denied any wrongdoing and has alleged that the celebrity owed him money. So after a seven-week trial, Titus Day was found guilty of 34 charges and not guilty of 13. He now faces a maximum of 10 years behind bars. Now, the two worked together since 2005. Um, just two years after Sebastian was crowned winner of the first ever Australian Idol. Yeah, and the working relationship fell apart in 2017, Day later arrested in July 2020. And Day has also managed Sophie Monk, TV host Grant Denyer, Olympian Stephanie Rice and singer Shannon Knoll. 
Yeah, so this is a big turning point in what's been a very, very bitter, drawn-out dispute between Titus Day and Guy Sebastian. For the first time, a black woman has been appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States. Katanji Brown-Jackson was sworn in overnight. And that I will faithfully and impartially discharge and perform all the duties incumbent upon me as an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. So Jackson was chosen by President Joe Biden, replacing Liberal Justice Stephen Breyer. Um, She started out as a lawyer from Florida and is one of three Liberal Justices out of nine Supreme Court judges. Yeah, Jackson starts her new job at a tense moment right after Trump appointed three conservative judges, which led to the Supreme Court reversing federal abortion rights and expanding gun rights for the first time in more than a decade. So Rihanna, what do you make of this new appointment? I think it's really lovely that her former boss, Justice Stephen Breyer, who is the reason she has a spot on the Supreme Court, was the one that swore her in because she clerked under him after graduating from Harvard Mm. Law. And also it's the first time the US Supreme Court has had four women on the bench. So it's history making in many ways, but it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. And to the tennis, uh, Nick Kyrgios has stormed through the second round of Wimbledon, winning in straight sets 6-2, 6-3, 6-1. You know, I just wanted to remind everyone that I'm pretty good. <laughs> and he was pretty good. Uh, he, he hit was. 24 aces and 50 winners. Um, and this comes after a very different first round match where he struggled through a five-setter and spat in the direction of a spectator. Yeah, up next, though, he's playing Stefanos Tsitsipas, who is a very good tennis player. That's why he's the fourth seed. So that will be a very challenging one for Nick Kyrgios. And I imagine spectacular viewing. Um, Rihanna, we'll catch you again next week. Thank you so much for joining us for today's headlines. Coming up, hip-hop and hymns. You'll meet Manyo Bobo, who's telling her story to Antoinette Latouf. hip-hop and hymns. For music and pop culture journalist Manuel Bobo, it was these two things, music and her faith, that helped her confront life's curveballs. Manuel has written a memoir, aptly named Hip-Hop and Hymns, about moving to Australia from Africa and growing up black in country New South Wales. It also tracks her tumultuous journey from a mining town to the Bible of hip-hop. New York City, where she worked at the premier hip-hop magazine. Manuel Bobo is back on our shores and now working at the ABC in music journalism. Manuel, thanks so much for joining us. Your memoir is both fascinating, but it's also pretty confronting in some of the parts because it deals with things like ending up in the back of a police car in New York, being kicked out of home, mental health struggles... And even how hip-hop lyrics influenced some relationship decisions you later regretted. And you even write, I've debated whether to tell this story at all. After all, it doesn't cast me in the best light. So why did you decide to tell it? Well, there are a few reasons why I wanted to tell this story. So I write in that same area about how I... I'm sick of pretending to be someone I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm also sick of representing my race. I'm tired of being on my best behaviour because I'm the only black person some people will ever meet. And so I'm expected to behave a certain way. And if I go against the grain, it's like, oh, all black people are going to be tarnished with that brush. And I just don't want that. 
Yeah. I think we've all got stories to tell and I think we should be free to tell them and tell our own stories. And was it liberating to then show warts and all as rather than pretend that you're always on your best behaviour and you don't make mistakes? Was it a weight off your shoulder? It was scary, Antoinette. Mm. It was very scary because at the end of the day, you're sharing it with people you don't know, essentially, as well as people you know. You also write about the fact that when you were younger, you turned to African-American musicians and subculture to see yourself. Did you also write it so that young manos in Australia can hear um, and, and see people like themselves? In a way, yes, but also there's nothing wrong with African-American subculture, as you call it. You know, had I not had what I was watching on television, the people who looked like me on TV growing up, it would have been a very different experience, Antoinette. Mm. I mean, I didn't have anybody else to sort of look at and think, oh, you know, this is what I could be. And the fact of the matter was I was growing up in a community where I was in primary school being bullied by a boy who called me the N-word every day. Mm. And had I have not had that foundation, you know, watching African-Americans do great things on television, I would have maybe internalised some of what he was saying, but I didn't because I had that foundation. Well, you always wanted to be a journalist and you knew that from a young age, Um, yet many people with your interests and obviously non-white appearance, it's not an uncommon story or trajectory to move overseas in an attempt to make it happen. Um, What was it like for you when you went to New York? New York was amazing. So I went there to study abroad for a semester. So I went upstate New York at State University of New York at Oswego, SUNY Oswego. I was there for about six months or so studying, but I was at the same time, because I was studying journalism, I was doing work experience on the student-run television station and the student-run radio station and stuff like that, which was amazing. But then over summer, I interned at the Source magazine, the Bible of hip hop. Mm. Now, that experience, being in a workplace, which is majority black and Latino, was incredible because it's so different to the workplaces that I experience here in Australia, quite obviously. But being in a setting, because it was hip hop, right? Mm. And so the people I worked with were very diverse and they accepted me, you know, they embraced me. And you mentioned the Bible of hip hop. I want to talk about Bibles more specifically because your faith is such a strong part of your identity, so much so that every chapter in the book is um, either after a hip hop song or a hymn. Talk us through what it was like bringing music to literature in that way. Well, it's funny because when I started out writing this story, Antoinette, I didn't really know that it was going to be so heavily, you know, centred on music. And when I was thinking of a title, I'm thinking, what are two things that represent me? And I'm sitting there thinking hip-hop, 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 hip-hop and hymns. That's it, hip-hop and hymns. It wasn't something that I had to really think about or really force. It was just so natural. So in my experience, mainstream media is a pretty secular place and people of faith 
have found it hard to be open about their beliefs or have to quietly listen to swipes at religion or things that they believe in? What has your experience been like? So interestingly, a colleague of mine called me once wanting contacts within the Christian community. And I remember her saying to me, oh, someone told me that you experience more prejudice as a Christian in the newsroom than you do as a Black person. And I said to her, okay, first of all, that's not true. (laughs) As a Black person, that's the number one thing that I experience prejudice over. You're right about religion in that I was in newsrooms where people would talk quite openly about how much they despised Christianity and what Christians represented. And quite often I wouldn't say anything, I wouldn't speak up because at the end of the day they already had their minds made up. They already had their prejudices about Christians. And so me standing up and saying, hey, I'm a Christian, was not going to either change their minds or, you know, have them reflect on it in a different way. They already had their biases. My favourite part in your book is when you talk to your mum about obviously wanting a journalism job, you're back in Sydney, and she comes up with this idea, which I can only call a baller move. Talk us through what happened. My mum said to me, you know, I had just finished uni. She said, you need a job. I said, "Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, let's go to every television station in Sydney until you have a job. The ABC was just up the road at Ultimo. So we thought we'd go there first. So mum and I sort of hop on the bus with our suitcases. We head into the foyer of the ABC and there are a couple of security guards there. One of them calls the head of news down to speak to me. But meanwhile, the other security guard, a man, said to me, what are you doing here? I said, I want a job. He said, why don't you buy a newspaper, circle a job ad and apply for one like any normal person would? What is it with people coming off the streets looking for a job? But by then the head of news had come down. I'm sure, Antoinette, that he gave me a little bit of a strange look when he saw me with my mum. Anyway, it ended up that I ended up getting the job because... He was looking for a bit of a copy boy type person. So I got a job that day. He was like, when can you start? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. But obviously getting a foot in is only half the battle and I love your tactic. But often what we find is that after a few years, a lot of people of colour don't stay in the industry because it can be often hostile space. Um, and, you know, even recently there was a, a, a tweet that went viral when you shared racist hate mail you received. You know, what's it been like staying in the industry? It's been quite a challenge. I mean, there have been so many times, Antoinette, where I've been thinking, I just want to leave. It's been hard. It's been really, really hard. But I've also had a lot of joys, a lot of successes. I mean, my current role as a music and pop culture reporter Mm. for Double J and ABC News, I'm just backfilling, but it is such an incredible role. And I've had opportunities like that throughout my career. Every now and then there's a glimmer of hope. (laughs) And so I do stick around, but it's been tough. And when you talk about racist hate mail, I mean, that's the tip of the iceberg. So that was the extreme example of some of the hate mail and and some of the stuff I've had to put up with. But it was uncalled for 
And I called it out because I thought this person and anybody else who thinks it's okay to send this type of hate mail needs to be on notice that I will call them out and I will report it to the relevant authorities. The police will find out about it. The e-safety commissioner will find out about it. The entire internet Twitterati Mm. will find out about it. And you better be okay with that because there will be consequences if you think it's okay to send such racist hate mail. Having said that, you did get an enormous amount of support on Twitter. And, I did. And so do you, do you feel that something is shifting? I think that people are starting to realise that I exist you know, and when I say I, I mean me and other people in my community because mm. to be African-Australian in this country is to be invisible, invisible to everyone except the police, really. So it's really quite sad. I mean, I have felt so invisible and I work in the media. I feel so invisible in this country. And so I feel like even though that was negative visibility, (laughs) the support that was shown to me was overwhelming. I mean, I had so many colleagues tweet in support of me, reach out to me on the phone, and I remember you retweeting it. I don't know if there's a shift, though. I think that wait and see, really, because the, the media to me is still very beige, And so I think there's still a long way to go as far as I'm concerned. That was Manyo Bobo, author of Hip Hop and Hymns, also a music and pop culture reporter at Double J and ABC News. So many powerful things there and so many things to unpack. And, you know, one thing the most recent census results showed us is we are even more diverse than previously thought. And it's going to take time, but it's very well overdue for our institutions like the media to reflect the richness of who we are. And it's not a box-ticking thing. It's not about being PC. It's about telling the stories of Australians and all Australians because the media is a megaphone for culture and it's so important when it comes to which stories we tell and how we tell them. It means people like Manyo don't have to go through life feeling invisible. All right. Thank you so much, Antoinette Latouf. Coming up in your feed tomorrow morning will be the wonderful weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who have you got on this week? Hey, Tom. Hey, team. Firstly, it is so nice to be back after being out for a week with COVID. Um, You'll all remember that last week I sent along my sister Miriam to fill in for me uh, because I got sick at the very last minute and had no voice whatsoever. Mim is also Mim Beanie, who is one third of the ARIA Award nominated children's band, The Beanies. If you're a parent or an auntie or uncle to a small person, you would definitely know who they are. And so this week I've interviewed my sister, which was totally weird, a little bit awkward and a whole lot of fun. Um, If you're someone who's interested in, in the arts, in how music gets made, in how to find success in an industry where things can be pretty tough. I think you will find this episode fascinating. It's also one for anyone who's close to their sibling and who adores and admires them because unbelievably, uh, having known my sister for almost 33 years, she still said things that surprised me. Wow, sibling love, sibling surprises on the weekend briefing. Get around that one and I'll catch you Monday. Bye. 
listener.